This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Marion, who is a parent through surrogacy. And if you haven't already listened to her surrogate story, that's Rachel at episode 23. And I also recently interviewed Rachel's partner, Simon, and that's episode 57. Now it's Marion's turn. And I think just like everyone, you'll fall in love with Marion because she's so lovely and funny and authentic. I'm going to hand over now to Marion. My name is Marion and I live in Adelaide with my husband, David, and my daughter, Matilda. Marion, how did you come to surrogacy? Well, I was just about to get married and I had a really interesting medical situation and that my arm turned purple and I thought, oh, this looks a bit funny. So I went off to the hospital and it turns out that I had a blood clot in my jugular vein. So, you know, just about to hopefully get married and start a family and then all of a sudden it led to this um, long diagnosis that ended up uh, with a disease called antiphospholipid syndrome and that was a sort of rare blood clotting disorder which meant that if I was to carry a child myself that it would be unsafe for me and for the baby as well. So not being a fan of dying, I decided uh, that surrogacy would eventually be the path that we would take to parenthood. That's pretty incredible. I've obviously never heard of that condition. Did, it, did you struggle to come to terms with the fact that you wouldn't be able to have your own child that you carried? Yeah, well, in the beginning, I was pretty intent on carrying myself. So, uh, you know, I went to a whole lot of different doctors and um, different medical people to to try and see uh, what would would be necessary for me to carry myself. So I was really keen on getting pregnant. Um, We also looked into adoption at the time, but that was not open to us just because of my pre-existing medical condition. So, um, so yeah, I was super intent on carrying myself and um, basically got told, go away and find a surrogate. (laughs) And that was... That was really, really tough to hear. Um, and it probably took me a good three months of beating myself up mentally, thinking that I wasn't enough as a, as a wife or as a daughter-in-law and all these dark places that your, your mind goes when you realise that you can't carry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, sent myself off for some counselling, as I do. <laughs> I'm not one to sit around and wallow. So, um, yeah, had had some counselling and um, came to terms with it, which is absolutely necessary in my opinion. You can't just go into it um, wondering, oh, what if I could carry? I knew that I absolutely couldn't, that it would be the, the wrong thing to do for my body and for my little one. Mm. So um, how did you get started in the um, surrogacy community and looking for a surrogate? Yeah, good question. I I first joined the Facebook page after going to a real-life meetup, um, which I found through, I think it was the Surrogacy Australia website at the time, and um, appeared on Facebook and said hi, and I was contacted by a past surrogate who lived in South Australia as well, and we just had a chat. Um, She wasn't looking for intended parents, and I wasn't looking, I, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I didn't see her as a surrogate we just became friends and um yeah that friendship still continues today so that's how that was my first intro to it so we know if we've all listened to um episode 23 with rachel 
that eventually she did carry for you. What was your experience of getting to know Rachel and her eventually offering to be your surrogate? Well, it was actually this this lady from South Australia that I first met all those uh, when I first joined. Um, she actually ended up being the one that introduced me to Rachel and um, she just put us both in a group chat on Facebook and was like, oh, hey, you guys need to meet each other. You guys are both great. <laughs> so Rachel was like, whoa, 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 like settle down. I don't know. Is this person even in Queensland where I live? <laughs> no, because Rachel just wanted someone in Queensland and I was on the other side of the universe. Um, but unfortunately, we got on tremendously well. And um, I was actually really disappointed when Rachel wanted to talk about surrogacy because I just wanted to get to know this person. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how we met. And we just we hit it off straight away. And yeah, I just knew that we were going to be great friends no matter what happened. Mm. Um, so she's eventually offered, obviously. What was the process for IVF for you guys? Um, so I had done an egg pickup um, before looking for a surrogate because I sort of thought, oh, it's, it, it would be more of a certainty for a surrogate to go into surrogacy knowing that we did have the um, reproductive material to be able to proceed. So that was important to me. So we did uh, an, an egg pickup prior to meeting Rachel. And then after Rachel offered to us, we decided to do uh, another egg pickup prior to forming our surrogacy arrangement, um, you know, for Medicare, for Medicare purposes. Don't send the police to me. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure of the legalities of that one. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> so we did, we did two very successful egg pickups. And then um, due to the legislation in South Australia, we had to fly Rachel down for each transfer. How many transfers did she have? She had um, two transfers prior to our first child that was born. And um, our second child that was born was um, just one transfer. So two kids out of three transfers. That's a pretty good record, if you ask me. <laughs> She's yeah. got, a, got a good uterus. <laughs> now, I don't know much about the science stuff, but can you talk to us about what was the testing that you did on your embryos before you entered the surrogacy arrangement? Yeah, sure. So at the time, the, uh, the fertility clinics were really pushing quite hard on what was called PGD or PGS, I can't remember. I think it was PGS screening at the time. They call it something different now. But at the time, um, this was sold as a way to um, be sure of any sort of um, abnormalities in the embryo. It turns out that it's just a chromosome count, but um, the way that it was sold to us was as though it would increase the chances of having a healthy child. So we thought, you know, of course we're going we're gonna to do this to all of our embryos because we don't want a surrogate to have to go through a miscarriage. We, we wanted to try and try and take any of that risk away that um, if, if that was possible. And so it was strongly recommended by the clinic that we take this up and uh, it made sense to us at the time. We thought, oh, great, this will drastically increase our chances of success. So mm. now we if later found out that that wasn't the case. But, mm. yeah. um, if anyone hasn't listened to episode 23 with Rachel, 
did you want to give them your version of what happened uh, during the pregnancy? Yeah, sure. So um, during Rachel's first pregnancy with our son, Hugo, everything was going really well until oh, he, he sort of stopped moving more and more. And so we were told that, um, you know, something might potentially be wrong with this child. And then quite late into the pregnancy, we were told that he wouldn't survive. So we thought, how could this possibly be? I mean, we've had these genetic tests done. How, how are you telling us that something's genetically wrong with this child? Um, so it, it turned out that we, there'd been a miscommunication about what the test actually tested for. Um, so there was a lot of confusion around that. And um, the child, Hugo, ended up, being born and we got to spend some time with him we spent four days with him which was absolutely lovely days and it's it's you know it's hard to explain to people when you talk about something so terrible in such positive terms but you've got to understand that that was just really the nature of the relationship that we'd built with our surrogate family throughout and even when we were dealt the most rotten hand we just we owned it. We owned it and we, we got through it with flying colours. Not to say that it wasn't hard, but um, we, we, did a, we had tremendous positivity out of something that could have just destroyed us all. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the too long didn't read version. Four days and then, and then we said goodbye and he was gone. Yeah. Um, I guess trying to find the way of asking the right question when I, I, I'm interested in what's it like being an intended parent and watching your surrogate go through all of that, knowing that baby's not going to survive. Is that... Oh, my God. Added it's terrible. Absolutely. I think so. But I think that any decent person would hate to see their friend going through so much pain. And she would have been feeling the same way about me because um, essentially we're having this pregnancy together, even though she was the one who was physically pregnant. We were always feeling very much on the same page. And it was, it was, it was hideous to watch her have to go through that, but not only her, but her kids as well and her husband. You just, when, when shit hit the fan, I thought, I'm responsible for this. I did this to you. But Rachel is just so wonderful that whenever I would ever say anything like that, she's like, no, I did this knowing full well the risks that I was putting myself and my family through. And, um, yeah, that just cemented for me just what a wonderful, wonderful person and a wonderful family they are. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of guilt. There's there's guilt, but you soon realise in surrogacy that guilt is a really useless emotion to carry around. Did Doesn't you do anyone like, any good? No. Did you feel like you needed? I mean, obviously there would have been a grieving process, but did you feel like you needed additional support to deal with that guilt? Um, no, I think it was pretty short lived, and also when. Um, Going through it, I think any sort of um, 
parent that goes through the loss of a child, it can be terribly isolating and terribly lonely. But because we had a surrogacy team going through it together, it was actually like a weirdly comforting experience to have someone there and you could hold their hand and they could hold your hand and know that you're not alone. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that the guilt was pretty short-lived and I think just vocalising it also um, was important for healing for everyone. And we had the, this sort of surrogacy relationship where anything could be vocalised and you'd never be judged for what you said. So I'd be like, oh, shit, sorry for putting you guys through this. <laughs> but yeah, she'd say, don't be silly. And we'd just get through it together. Yeah. That's lovely. So how long before you decided to try again? Um, I think Rachel had decided that she wanted to have two kids for us before the first transfer, <laughs> before Hugo's first transfer. So she's like, okay, so when we do it again and you have your next kid, and I'm like, oh, shut up, Rachel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't tease me like that. But it, she was bloody serious. She, um, she really wanted to do it again for us. And so she, she had decided really early on that that's what she wanted to do. But it took me a, a lot longer to come around to the idea of being comfortable with it because we've put it to her and her family through so much. So I think that um, my grievance process was longer than everyone else's on the team. And so I was the person that was holding it back from from going again but it got to the point where Rachel was like look I basically I know this is going to be my last one I want my body back and um if if we don't do it soon then we might not do it at all and I totally respected that and that was sort of the push that I needed to to be excited about it again because I wanted to be excited I didn't just want to be like oh yeah let's do surrogacy again I, I wanted I always want to be excited about what I'm doing so it was probably Oh, God. I see. I need Rachel here telling me dates, but I don't know how long it was. <laughs> I, think it was I think we transferred um, 11 or 12 months after Hugo was born. So around about a year. And first transfer worked? I knew it was going to work. I was just like, yeah, we got this, guys. Like, we've got so much karma in the bank after all the bollocks that <laughs> yes. we went through. I knew it was going to work and I knew that um, the baby was going to be healthy. And I was pretty sure she was a girl. Like I had all this intuition mm. um, and I just trusted that. And as weird as it sounds, I just, I knew everything would go right. And it did. Rachel had a great pregnancy. Did you feel like you had to go back and do a whole lot more testing on those embryos? Um, so to retest an embryo after it's been already tested and already frozen um, carries significant risk to the embryo itself. And um, since we, so after we found out what Hugo's condition was, we, um, we did some genetic counselling and they told us that it wouldn't be useful to, to re-biopsy these embryos. Um, but what we were offered was the chance to test through CVS or an amniocentesis. So the CVS can be done slightly earlier. I think it's around 10 weeks. Don't quote me on that but um, where they basically just take a little biopsy of the placenta 
or an amniocentesis, which um, is where you take some of the amniotic fluid and test that. So those two tests were available once we had achieved a pregnancy and once it was, um, you know, 10, 10 to 12 weeks. So we just sort of had to hold our breath for that amount of time during, during um, Matilda's pregnancy. Mm. But um, yeah, we just we decided to go with the um, CVS because it was the earlier option that was available, and Rachel quite understandably just wanted to know as soon as possible. But the um, the downside of that was that we were actually on the in the other side of the world in Sweden when that test occurred, and I was just freaking out, being like, "Oh my god, what if she miscarries while we're doing this? And I'm not going to be there to hold her head." Mm. I just. I did not want this woman to go through any more pain for us than she already had. And so she had to be pretty stern with me and say, like, look, I don't need you there, Marion. I just need this test done. So, yeah. So, yeah, we Skyped in for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, of course, baby was healthy, which is amazing. Totally. And then you pretty sassy though. I think that's the problem with her. <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me about baby. Matilda is how old is she now? Matilda is fourteen and a bit months old. She's running around the house and her head is so enormous because I've got like a big head at the front and David's got a big head at the back and she's got all of that, the poor love. So she's very top heavy. So there's lots of falling over. Um, yeah, she's got Rachel's sass and I think she's got Rachel's thighs as well. I'm not sure if that's possible, but, um, <laughs> can calves, can that we've been talking about Rachel this doesn't have any thighs at the moment. No, can we just clarify? Rachel carried her, but had no genetic contribution to her. So you're just blaming. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime there's anything that <laughs> I love to, I love to attribute, um, parts of Matilda to Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> What's it been like for the last 14 months? Um, it's been a bit of a, uh, I would uh, I think a roller coaster is the wrong word for it. The beginning is probably like most new parents when you're just going, oh my God, don't die, don't die, don't die, please don't die. <laughs> so that was probably the first little bit. And, you know, there's probably a bit of PTSD associated with having lost your firstborn. But I think we went, we, we got through that pretty well. Um, she did have some feeding issues at around um, two months old, which was incredibly stressful. Um, did you again, I probably Matilda? I did. Yeah. That's was, amazing. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because I know that there's some women out there who are considering um, inducing lactation for their babies. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I did it for Hugo and for Matilda and, um, when I did it for Hugo, I was able to feed him in the intensive care unit through a syringe. And that was like the best moment ever to be able to do that. And then to be able to directly feed Matilda was like next level, but she was really terrible at feeding. (laughs) So our, um, our breastfeeding adventure was fairly short lived. Um, so basically you just take a whole lot of drugs and do a lot of pumping and um, there's a really good support community on Facebook for it. I think it's called um, inducing lactation for intended parents through surrogacy. So that was a really good information source, but the, it's a tough slog. And I think if you've already got a kid, it would be near impossible to keep up with the pumping schedule. 
um, to be able to induce. The second time around, it was a lot easier than the first. But if you ask me, will I do it again if we have a third child? My answer is no. Mm. But it's got to be it's got to be your own decision. Don't feel as though it's impossible. It's not. It's very possible and it's very rewarding. And to feel as though you can nourish this child after it's been gestated in your surrogate, that is incredibly wholeheartedly epic. And it does wonders for any sort of residual healing you may need to do about being a, a mother who has not gestated your child themselves, just to be able to give part of your body to this little miracle. It's totally worth it, but it's totally a pain in the ass because it's a lot of work. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Talk to us about what's parenting like post-surrogacy when, like you say, you didn't grow the baby. So um, what's parenting like? Parenting is amazing i just like being a mum is the best feeling ever as i'm sure you would know sarah and um it's got its hard bits and it's got its easy bits and the hardest thing i found being a parent through surrogacy is just being able to go to your surrogate and go bloody hell i had a rough day today which is what you would do to any other friend but when it's a surrogate you just feel so grateful towards what they've given that you only Oh, I, think, I think it's a trap to fall into only wanting to relay the positives of parenting. But, I mean, I guess that's the case for anyone, whether it be your own parents or in-laws or something like that. But um, I've certainly found there's a lot of joy in being real about relaying your experience of parenting to your surrogate because your surrogate's been a mum before. She, they, they know what it's like. And so to be able to be real with someone like that who's been with you throughout this whole journey, that's, that's wonderful. So I would say that my parenting experience is probably very similar to anyone else's, but every day is underpinned with just the most immense gratitude that you have for having this little person in your life. Mm. But I don't know if other, do you think other parents have that as well? You don't just, do you I just go like, I'm so grateful for you? <laughs> um. <laughs> I think I remember that feeling when my my kids were small, but less so these days, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's how I feel at the moment. Ask me again in like 10 years' time. We can have the <laughs> yep. revisited podcast about uh, parenting. <laughs> I think also from the surrogate's point of view, we re actually really want to hear about the good and the bad. We'd really like to hear about... We don't want to hear that you're having a tough time, but we it normalises it for us. We know that we gave you a child to parent, not just for the glossy and the good bits, but also for the tough bits. And we yeah. can't rejoice when you have to stay up all night and you're getting the full breadth of parenting experience because we gave you that experience. We want to, yeah. we want to see you suffering in some ways. So <laughs> don't feel shy about telling us about it. Yeah, it, it, that was a difficult thing for me to come to terms with. But now I fully embrace it when like I found lasagna in my shoe the other day. And so I was like, you did this to me, Rachel. <laughs> so yeah, we make we make fun of it now. Yeah, I think we're quite happy to take responsibility for you having a bad day. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, there's plenty of bad days, but even in the terrible times, I still just have gratitude each and every day.
Mm. Um, so where to for, for you and your family and your surrogate family? Um, so oh, my surrogate family are coming to visit in at the end of November, which is cool. They've sort of just, um, they've commandeered the idea of coming to Christmas with my family each year, which I just love. Um, and we've, we went to Brisbane not that long ago. So I think, um, yeah, I think we're just going to continue to maintain that relationship, which is lovely. Um, Rachel's also been incredibly enthusiastic about the idea of us doing a sibling project, but it won't be with her. So we're, um, we're currently exploring the possibility of going again, which is pretty amazing and exciting. And um, hopefully I don't have too much crazy baggage for <laughs> our, our next surrogate. Um, but I think that going into it again, we have, I think we're, we're, we're pretty certain on what we want out of it. We, we're looking for another family to join our family, basically. And we never anticipated that going into surrogacy the first time around. Um, but yeah, just just knowing that feeling that we have with the Cundies now after everything that we've been through, it's just, it's the best feeling in the world. And that's what surrogacy makes. It doesn't just give you a baby. It makes you a family and it gives you a whole extended family. Sorry, that was a really long winded answer. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> Tell me about your relationship with Rachel. Now you were, we were talking before about it changing. What's the yes. first birth relationship like between a surrogate and, in, and intended parents? Yeah, I would definitely say that the the frequency of contact does change. And initially that kind of felt weird. But um, on, on reflection, I think that that just kind of um, happens as the result of life circumstances changing. I mean, she's... We were, we were investing many, many hours into our friendship during the surrogacy. But since I now have a child that I'm a caretaker for, I don't have that, that same amount of time to just gaze lovingly into Rachel's eyes, which is what I would be doing if I did have the time. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, she, Rachel has, has um, new friends now as well, and I have new responsibilities, but we still chat. I think there's been like one or two days that we haven't spoken to each other over the last year and a bit. Um, so it's still, there's still that real sort of core underpinning of a really solid, beautiful friendship but and just being sort of confident in knowing that even if the um frequency or nature of communication does change over time that that, that feels normal to us and i don't think it's any more or, or less of what the friendship was it's just it's built on solid foundations so the rest just kind of flows mm. If you had advice for intended parents who are exploring surrogacy, what would you say to them? I would say take a good hard look at your expectations in terms of timelines and the resources that you have available to you, whether they be emotional, physical, financial, all, all these resources that are required to do surrogacy. Um, also time as a resource. Do you have time to nurture and invest in a surrogacy relationship and you, you have to be really honest with yourself there um, and whether or not Australian altruistic surrogacy or overseas surrogacy is going to be something that you can actually do um, you need a lot of 
emotional resources for any surrogacy journey, but I think particularly an, an Australian surrogacy journey. So my advice would be to sort of check in with what resources you have available and then come up with an action plan from there and then just throw yourself at it. Do it. You can do it. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, I love Rachel. <laughs> perfect. That's the perfect ending. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.